All right, welcome everybody to the second episode of Those Who Can't Play Talk. Uh, I am your host, Wayne. The co-host is Chris. He is here. What uh, up, everybody? We just want to thank everybody for um, all the positive feedback from the first episode and all the support. Uh, please continue to do so. Yeah, y'all uh, keep it coming. For sure. Uh, what do we got on the uh, agenda today, Chris? What topics are we covering? Well, the Heisman Trophy, it was handed out, I guess, Tuesday. Um, you know, did the voters get it right? Uh, we'll talk about some COVID issues going on in football with the Browns and Ohio State. Maybe touch on some other points around the NFL there. That and uh, the hot topic with all the Texans fans with their new GM hiring and are they going to trade Deshaun Watson or does Deshaun Watson want to trade? So we'll hit on some of that stuff today and uh, give you guys another great show. All right, sounds like a good plan. Um, let's see. Let's let's go ahead and jump in on the Heisman talk real quick. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? With uh, really the first receiver winning the award in quite some time, uh, I know based off my research of the last 21 Heisman winners going basically back to 2000, there's been 17 quarterbacks, three running backs, and one receiver, which was this year. So, um, how do you feel about that? Do you think they got it right? In my honest opinion. No, I don't. Um, it's not to say that that's any knock against skill players, really, because like you said, the only four of them have won it in the last 21 years. I mean, it's a quarterback-driven sport, and typically your team goes as the quarterback goes. But um, same as you, just crunching some numbers and just trying to pass the eye test. I, to be honest with you, I really don't think the voters got it right this year. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, I, I can't say that I disagree. Um I mean, obviously, Devontae Smith had a phenomenal season. Um, but me personally, no, I don't think they got it right either. Um, based off, you know, the research I've done, um, I know you have uh, – you looked up some numbers to compare his season to other notable wide receiver seasons. Um, what are we looking at there? So, I mean, if we just if we just go back a decade, a decade, which, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a pretty solid sample size um, – you know, I don't know if you remember Justin Blackman. His stint in NFL lasted, I don't know, about as long as it took him to hit the bong. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, back in 2011 with Oklahoma State, he had 122 catches, 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns. Uh, you know where he finished in the Heisman voting that year? Uh, probably not in the top five. Not even in the top ten. Yeah. Not even in the top ten. Dude getting cracked top ten. Um, he going crack back. The bong, bro. Right, and good, he definitely ripped the ball. Uh, so another Alabama wide receiver and near and dear to Cowboys fans' hearts, um, Amari Cooper, 124 catches, 1,700 yards, 16 touchdowns. He managed to finish third in the Heisman voting that year. Marcus Mariota won. Um, yeah. And then last year, LSU, you had Jamar Chase, and I kind of feel like this is the barometer for what kind of makes me feel like that maybe we didn't get it right because he had – 84 catches for 1,700 yards, 20 touchdowns, and lo and behold, you look in the top 10, nowhere to be found. Um, you know, so that just kind of leads me to believe that, I, you know, I don't know what the voters were looking at. I know that his last two games that he played, um, Florida, huge game. Notre Dame, he just absolutely torched them. I mean, no one could cover them. I mean, basically Notre Dame sent out air to try to cover Devontae Smith and did a very poor job of it. But um, kind of to that end, you know, talking about the Notre Dame game, uh, 
you know, that's a game that in most seasons, that's not even in the scope of the Heisman voting where it fell on the schedule because typically you have your conference championships, um, the voting's done, the trophy's handed out the following weekend, and then bowl season starts. And I realize that this year was unlike any other, but, you know, you look at the Heisman voting, a lot of it is you can pretty much – they, they, the voters only look at like the last few games of the season. Like yeah. they don't go back and it's it, the whole scope of the season and like the, I guess width of the work and stuff that the players do. That it's it's what have you done for me lately? Yeah, it, it's essentially very much what of it, a, it is. It's very much to eye test when it comes to Heisman, and it's really kind of the same way in the NFL with the MVP. It's uh, yes, it's a part of it is your whole body of work over the course of a season, but it's also how did you do? the last three or four games of the campaign because that's what leaves the lasting impression on the voters is and, it, and like you said it's a what have you done for me lately league with both college football and the nfl so like you said uh, his his two last two games which were very good games i think had a huge part in him winning um one thing I looked at was looking at the top four in the voting you had Devontae Smith. Uh, obviously won it. Trevor Lawrence second in voting. Mac Jones third and Kyle Trask th- uh, fourth. And I think they got it wrong with Trevor Lawrence being second. I mean, Mac Jones had a substantially better season than Trevor Lawrence. And how you put Lawrence as second is, is kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, just comparing their numbers, Trevor Lawrence 69% completion for the season. Mac Jones 77 Um both phenomenal numbers, but 77% completion is huge. I mean, that's that's an ungodly number. I mean, that's yeah. that's great. Uh, Yardage-wise, uh, I know Mac Jones obviously played a few more games, but uh, 4,000 yards to 3,150 yards. Uh, touchdowns, 36 to 24 for obviously Mac Jones' favor. Uh, four interceptions uh, to Trevor Lawrence's five. So not only did he – throw more yards, threw more touchdowns, but threw less interceptions uh, with more games. I mean, that that in itself is phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's not forget, too, that Mac Jones is doing this in the SEC, which, I mean, not to discredit the ACC, but I'm sorry, the ACC was about charm and soft when it comes to playing yeah. defense this year. You yeah, can't we, pick we out all, any one team. The SEC is, is, if not the top conference, one of the top conferences, and the ACC is – not so much yeah so circling back to Devontae Smith so kind of the point and even going back to talking about Jamar Chase so 2019 Joe Burrow wins the Heisman right so you have to ask yourself does Jamar Chase put up those numbers with anyone else playing quarterback Um, obviously we saw what LSU did this year with their revolving door situation that they had a quarterback Um, you know I think they maybe played as many as three or four guys this year and Jamar Chase opted out, you know? Yeah. Um, but it just, you know, I guess where it's hard for me to get a lot of buy-in with Devontae Smith really, is he really the most outstanding player in college football? Um, uh, honestly, Is he yeah. the best wide receiver in college football? Maybe. Stat-wise, yes. Is he, I mean, is he the best receiver on his team? No, probably not. I think Jalen Waddle's probably the best receiver on the team. See, I'm glad but, you bring him up because um, – I mean, Waddle only played four games before he got hurt, but through those first four games, like his numbers were 
I mean, almost across the board were better than Devontae Smith. I mean, you talk about through four games, Smith had 483 yards, 38 receptions, four touchdowns, and that averages out to 120 yards per game. Whereas Waddle had 557 yards on 25 receptions, four touchdowns, uh, that averages out to 139 yards per game. So through four games, you have another receiver that's getting 19 more yards per game on 13 less receptions. I mean, Devontae Smith greatly benefited from Waddle's injury as it pertains to the Heisman race because that's a huge chunk of his stats that he wouldn't have had Waddle stayed on the field. Yeah, no, definitely a beneficiary of, you know, Waddle missing the, the big majority of the season. Um, I mean, two, you can also make the point um, offensively. I mean, Alabama averaged 48 points a game. I mean, they were an offensive juggernaut this year. There was no one that could stop them. I don't think that maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars could have stopped Alabama's offense this year. Um, I mean, you look at Najee Harris. Look at his numbers. I mean, dude had almost 1,500 yards rushing. I mean, mm-hmm. in the landscape of college football, 1,500 yards isn't like – I mean, you got dudes that run for 2,000 yards every year. So, I mean, to put up that kind of rushing total with this nine five-star running backs that they have at Alabama, it's, that's that's a solid year. But dude had 27 total touchdowns. He scored 20 on the ground, had seven through the air. Um, yeah. You know, so you, you can argue, is Devontae Smith even, like, the best offensive weapon on his team? I mean, don't want to take anything away from the kid. Obviously, he had a great year. I mean, you don't oh, put yeah, up those kind of numbers unless you have talent. Probably going to be the first receiver taken in the draft now. Um, I, you know, would in, him ending up in a place like Miami would be great for the Dolphins. Add more skill players, help yeah. out Tua and all that. Yeah, that's definitely but, something to keep an eye on with that third overall pick. Yeah, but I mean, like, so just go, let's go back and look at Desmond Howard's numbers from when he won it. Okay, so obviously, you know, Desmond Howard, big, big personality, very charismatic. Um, you know, he had very just huge moments that year, and obviously, I mean, I think that happened. I don't quote me on the year; it might have been like '91 or something like that. So, I was five. I do not remember Desmond Howard playing for Michigan. Okay, I, you know, I got a buddy who, you know, we'll call him the one who wears the white belt, is a huge Michigan homer, and would sit here and probably argue me tooth and nail that Desmond Howard should have won it that year or whatever. But dude went 62 for 985 yards. Didn't even have a thousand yards receiving. Um, big stat, he had 19 touchdowns, which, I mean, essentially a third of his catches went for a touchdown. I mean, yeah. that's huge. I mean, he was big in the return game and stuff like that. But, I mean, I don't know who was up for the Heisman that year as far as other players and stuff like that, but my guess is maybe it's a light year. Um, yeah. You look at someone like Randy Moss. Like, I know he went to Marshall. Okay, so don't come at me the fact that he went to Marshall. I realize that you're talking about a man playing amongst boys in a crappy conference. But, I mean, 26 touchdowns. Downs. Like I said, he finished fourth in the Heisman voting that year. That was the year that uh, Charles Woodson, first and only defensive player, but he also dabbled at wide receiver um, to win the Heisman. And then you had Peyton Manning, um, the lovable Ryan Leaf, who had such a wonderful career in the NFL. I think he was most noted for his uh, – he had more locker room tantrums than he did touchdown passes. Um, yeah. You know, so that, that's another person to kind of look at, like, that came close. Larry Fitzgerald. Let's not forget about him at Pitt. I mean, he put up some numbers about the same type stat line as uh, Devontae Smith. He had 92 for almost 1,700 yards, 22 touchdowns. And he finished second that year to Jason White, who I think played at Oklahoma for like seven years or some crazy shit like that. I mean, he was there forever. I think he he won a national championship that year too. So it's just for me, for a wide receiver to win it, like you have to put up like some big time, like big time numbers. Like – 
you know, go have 130 catches. I mean, you can't say anything about the number of games they played because Alabama played a full slate of games this year. I mean, he he had every single chance to play in 12, 13 games. Um, But, you know, go catch 130 balls. Come close to 2,000 yards receiving. 20 touchdowns is, like, out of this world. Um, Don't get me wrong. But like I said, that Alabama offense—forty-eight points a game, dude. Like they're—they're they're just they're blowing the brakes off of everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's so I, you know, I did they get it right? My gut tells me no. My eyes tell me no. Um, you know, definitely deserving of being there. But I mean, like you said, you compare Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones's numbers, and the hell, they didn't even get that right. Yeah. You know, so that leads me to believe that I think maybe Mac Jones maybe has a little bit of a reason to feel, uh, I don't want to say it's snubbed. I mean, no one's given him any love as far as the draft. I mean, if you look at some of the top quarterbacks in the draft, you've obviously Trevor Lawrence, like I told you in the last podcast, he's going, he's 1-1 one as far as uh, players in the draft. A kid from BYU is, is rated very high. Um, Justin Fields, same thing. He's rated very high. I've seen Kyle Trask's name kind of thrown in there in the mix and stuff like that. And Mac Jones has outplayed all of those guys. Justin Fields will give you a pass because you've only played seven games this year, whatever. Um, But, yeah, I think Mac Jones deserves way more love than he got. I mean, like I said, you throw out his numbers. The thing that stands out to me the most over the touchdown to interception ratio, the yards, 77 yeah, but seventy-seven percent of his passes completed. Yeah, he, that, I mean, you're telling me like that's that is like Drew B, Drew Brees like pinpoint type stuff right there. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's better than Brees has ever done. I believe. Yeah, I mean, I mean don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Obviously, it's college numbers and stuff like that. But yeah. Nick Saban is notorious for keeping the training wheels on his quarterbacks and just like you know micromanaging them to the nth degree. Yeah, um, well, it looks like he took the training wheels off because Mac Jones was slinging the ball this year. Yeah, I agree. So, Mac Jones, you would have got my vote. If I had one, um, if there's any Heisman Committee guys that are out there that want to hand out some votes for uh, 2021, feel free to give your boy a vote. I feel like I can help you all out, maybe try to get it right this time. But, um, like I said, nothing against Devontae Smith. Dude had a great season. Um, will he be a great receiver in the NFL? Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, he's got – looks like the skills and the ability to do that. But time will tell. But as far as – 2020 um, Heisman, don't know, man. Like I said, just doesn't feel like we got it right. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's go ahead and uh, roll on into our next topic. Um, uh, what do we have on the docket next? Well, we'll lead off with some of the COVID issues that have been going around football, both college and NFL. We'll start off with the Browns, the oh-so-lovable Browns. Yeah, let's make the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. And now my head coach – and best offensive linemen both come down with the Rona. So that's only the Browns could do some shit like this. This is a Browns move if I've ever seen one. And it's not just the head coach and one offensive lineman. It's two offensive linemen. It's the head coach and then two other uh, members of the coaching staff. So, um, And as I believe on uh, Wednesday it was reported they had no more positive tests on Wednesday, so they opened the facility back up and then – Lo and behold, on Thursday, they pop another positive and close the facility back down. Uh, so that means there's no practice leading into their first playoff game in 18 years, which can't be – I mean, no practice for any team going into a playoff game is not good. Wait, you mean they're not practicing on Zoom? 
I'm I sure mean, they can do some Zoom walkthroughs in the backyard. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the extent of what they're going to be able to do. Uh, I mean, I feel like you take the most well-oiled team in the league. I mean, you take the Packers, for example, or the Chiefs, and have them not be able to practice leading into their first playoff game. I mean, that that leads to trouble even for the best of teams. And we all know the Browns are not the best of teams. Like, yes, they've had a great year, much improved, but – I mean, this can't be good for them. It can't be good for their mindset. It can't be – it just it just can't be good. No, nah, I mean, and it's not good for anybody. I don't care if you are the Chiefs or you're the Saints or you're the Packers or you're a team that's been in the playoffs five years in a row or whatever. Like you said, you don't get to practice. There's no continuity. I mean, yeah, it's really hard. It's kind of – it's like the equivalent of like rolling out of bed and saying like, all right, boys, let's get it. Yeah. Um, typically, yep. that doesn't work out too well. I mean, every time I go and play golf and I don't get hit a bucket before I hit the you know the actual course, it usually doesn't work out in my favor. Golf never does work out in my favor, but well, you know say, at I least if I because it don't matter if I hit a bucket before or after, I'm gonna play like shit either way. Yeah. No. Typically, that's the result for me too. But I mean, that and this is like the most coverage I've heard about a guard in the NFL since like Richie Incognito punched a dude or whatever, or threw his helmet on the field or some shit. So it's like you know all the. All the love for interior linemen this week has yeah. been, I guess, nice. So, my question for you here, what's going to be the bigger issue with this game? Is it going to be two offensive linemen being out, or is it going to be the Kevin Stefanski missing because we all know he calls plays, so we're going to have a new play caller in Alex Van Pelt calling plays, and we're going to be missing two offensive linemen. And we all know the running game for the Browns are their bread and butter. So, what do you think is going to be the bigger issue here? Man, honestly, I mean, let me go find a quarter real fast so I can flip it. Um, I mean, I know Stefanski calls the plays, typically. And, you know, we kind of talked about this earlier. You know, it's a different voice in the headset for Baker Mayfield. Now, Baker Mayfield is going to do Baker Mayfield shit, and he's going to run around and try to make plays and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't know what kind of information. I've never worn an NFL helmet and, you know, took a snap and threw a pass in an NFL game. But, you know... Don't know what kind of information is being doled out pre-snap and stuff like that, or you know, calling plays. But I mean, there is this. The mechanics of it are going to be different yeah. now. Like now, you said, speaking under, to, the, to my understanding, the way it works is um, the the mic in the head in the helmet gets shut off at a certain point during the play clock. I think at like 15 seconds or somewhere in that range. So if it's a 40 second play clock, you're going to have you know 25 seconds before. Uh, get shut off so that's just communication between the coach and uh, the quarterback of hey do you like this play in this situation quarterback shake said yes no whatever but on a shorter play clock like 25 seconds that's enough time to get the play call in and then you got to go so um, I think what benefits them in this situation is no I mean our minimal crowd noise I don't know if Pittsburgh is allowing fans I don't think they are so you don't have that added noise and added distraction with a new voice inside the helmet. But there again, when you've had the same person call plays, you know, for 16 games this season, and now you've got a new voice, uh, the way he could have a different accent, uh, he could pronounce things different, he could emphasize certain things different, and it, it could lead to some confusion. Uh, so there, are, there's always that. But another benefit that Baker's going to have is Alex Van Pelt spent some time in Green Bay as uh, Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach. Uh, so I'm a little more familiar with him than most people are. But earlier this week on the Pat McAfee show, Aaron Rodgers said that 
he's he thinks Alan Van Pelt is going to do great. He uh, he's got his back 100. percent uh, So he he thinks he's the guy and he's going to do good. So uh, we we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is in an NFL huddle. I mean, my extensive high school football experience is what I'm drawing off here. But um, you know, NFL obviously they they don't just call one play. There's multiple plays that get called. Um, yeah, there's, just there, for yeah, there's a lot of situations like where they'll call two plays, and you know, if you don't like one, you can check to the other. Um, yeah, so I mean, may, maybe that's an issue that gets run into, and, and maybe more is going to get overblown out of the coach being out, but. I mean, to me, like to your point with the Browns relying real heavy on the running game, to me, having two interior linemen or, you know, two linemen out period, to me that seems like that's going to be a huge issue. Because, I mean, J.C. Treader is the other guy who's out, and he's – I mean, I know that, like I said, this is more lineman talk than people are, are used to. Um, but still, yeah, I mean, that's going to be the big difference because, I mean, someone's got to uh, block T.J. Watt you know, and all the other guys yeah. up there for I, I would, uh, I would expect Pittsburgh, there's but. not going to be a whole lot of runs up the middle of this game. I think there's going to be a lot more sweeps and uh, runs to the outside. And uh, honestly, I think the, the the play calling will also feature a lot a more uh, running back screens or passes out of the backfield with Cream Hunt to try to keep the defense honest and uh, try to open up the running game that way. Yeah. You know, it, it – like I said, this is just the most Browns thing to come out of this year for the Browns ever. I mean, oh yeah, how most it's going to play definitely. out, I'm not sure. Yeah, and how it's going to play out, I'm not really sure. Like I said, to me, it feels like just the, the not having your your lineman in there is going to be a little bit different too. Because like I said, if he's making different play calls for protections at the line and stuff like that, yeah. you've got guys then, that are backups that are in there. So. And on that note, you mix in the lack of practice for the linemen that are going to be filling in. Uh, especially with uh, the center being out. So you're going to have a different center uh, that's going to have to be in tune with Baker, whether he's under center or in the shotgun. He's going to have to be in tune to the play call – or not the play calling, but the cadence of the snap. So could be snap issues, uh, fumbles, or snaps at the wrong time when Baker's not ready. Uh, could potentially alter the game tremendously in that aspect. Yeah, no, like I said, it's one of those deals that to me it just feels like, like I said, not having your guys there in the middle. Yeah, that and, you've been uh, with all year that you trust us could end up just kind of turning itself into more of a problem. But again, you know, it's one of those things that not having your head coach too is always a huge deal. But yeah, we'll see. Like I said, it, it, part of me, part of my heart breaks for the Browns because I'd like to see them have some success after you know toiling away for years and yeah, losing I, I agree. You know, I'd like 16 to see, games. I'd love for the Browns to win that game, but I just at this point I don't see it happening. Yeah. Uh, while we're on the NFL and COVID, uh, not really worth going into much detail on, but uh, obviously we all know the Titans had a huge COVID outbreak early in the season, got it all under control. Uh, this week they had a trainer test positive. Um, the I guess the contract tracing contact tracing went well because uh, the facility facility stayed open. Haven't heard any more uh, anything about positive tests, but uh, it's just worth keeping an eye on because they're again they're going into a wild card weekend, fixing to play this weekend, and uh, just because there's no positive tests anymore for you know the day or two after doesn't mean that another test can't pop up. Uh, so. Um, you're looking at another potential disruption for another playoff team if um, another test or two pops up 
uh, and could l- basically lead to a similar situation with the Browns of missing key players or uh, team staff members. Um, but like I said, I mean, with it just, it just being a trainer and nothing being interrupted, not really worth going into. Um, I know you wanted to mention Ohio State's issues, so let's uh, let's hit on that for a minute. Now, before we move on, it's just if, of all people that's going to get popped for a COVID test, a trainer. Like, yeah. come on, man. Like, you got one job, and that's to keep everybody healthy, and you can't keep yourself healthy? Oh, yeah. Like, come on, bro. Yeah. Like, really? That, that's literally all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah. a trainer. And with Don't that, catch the COVID. Who who all have you been working with? I mean, is this like a – I mean, have you been dealing with the people on IR, the people Stay with injuries? Stay your ass out the club. That's what yeah. that tells me. Stay yeah. out the nightclub, bro. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, Ohio State. So, that's the other thing is, like, it's like every week for Ohio State – it's like COVID issues, COVID issues. I think like COVID is so predominant within the Big Ten. I think I think that like they're the only conference that like where they just had multiple outbreaks. But yeah. I guess the funniest part of this whole situation, I guess, if you want to put some irony on it, um, is I guess it was Nick Saban's daughter. Yes, <laughs> there's it some was. there's some fire out on Twitter. Basically saying that like Ohio State was doing this just to get like another week of rest so Justin Fields' ribs could heal up and stuff like that, which is like that is the ultimate power move. I mean, oh boy, did by Nick Saban's daughter. Ribs. He did. He did. I mean, it, 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 it was a big shot, but I mean, I mean come I'm, on, man. Like, I'm surprised Saban. Like, I'm sure she probably got her allowance cut off for that. Yeah, uh, I, I I read that it was immediately dealt with. Saban immediately got it taken care of so i'm sure he had the credit card stopped working oh yeah but i mean at the same time like you can't really blame her for saying that because it's like oh if let's just go ahead and throw this out there because if ohio state loses it could immediately be used as an excuse and we're gonna just go ahead and throw this out here ahead of time and say the game even did get moved back and then ohio state ends up winning i mean i mean who could say whether that extra time had much of an effect or not, but it's just. The only person that that extra time benefits is Justin Fields. Like, I don't know who it was. Like they haven't released what person came down with it. Now, if it's, if it's Trey Sermon, Chris Olave, um, any one of their talented guys on defense or something like that. Like if it's something like that, then yeah, that's a huge impact. I mean, it's, it's hard enough. We already touched on how good Alabama's offense is. I mean, we've named, four guys from their team in the Heisman conversation and so now you're talking about like Ohio State's got to go stop those dudes mm-hmm. um, so yeah if you lose any significant contributor on offense or defense like you're already stacking the deck against you but I mean yeah if you're looking at this at face value it seems like a ploy to get a week to allow Justin Fields to heal up because I can promise you no, Judging by how that dude looked, he's got a couple broken ribs. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I've um, had a bruised rib before, and I mean, I was wrestling with uh, an ex-girlfriend and took a knee to the ribs, like, and my ribs hurt for like a month. And I mean, I had trouble breathing. I had trouble catching my breath. And God forbid you, I had to sneeze because I, it would take me to my knees if I was standing up and sneezed. Like it was bad. So yeah. I, I can understand what this dude's going through like I, I've, I've felt that pain and it is rough yeah 
Uh, it is. I mean, and you see him try to get on and off the assault bike there on the sideline. Now, for anyone who's never had the pleasure of actually using an assault bike or an echo bike, um, everybody makes that face whenever you get on that uh, piece of equipment. So, uh, don't know if that's rib related or not. Yeah, right. But um, yeah. my face is yeah, way yeah. worse when I get off that bike than when I get on. Yeah, but I mean, the way he threw the ball in the second half. Um, I mean, if every throw. I mean, you could see him causing pain with every throw as well. Yeah, but he was spinning it. I mean, the dude, like, literally was dropping dimes. Yeah. You know, hitting dudes in stride with a broken rib. So, look, my hat's off to you if it is. Um, but, yeah, if you could get an extra week, I totally understand that. But judging by the uh, NCAA's committee and everything, it sounds like the game's going to go on Monday as scheduled. So, yeah, Justin I've, Fields, good luck. I mean, Ohio State, if any of your, your key guys are down because of it, um, extra good luck because, I mean, Alabama's just a, a steamroller. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, um, I guess uh, we'll roll on into the next one. Um, what's the deal in Houston? Uh, is Deshaun Watson really that unhappy? And uh, if the rumors are true that he could possibly request to have a trade, what's the likelihood of it happening? Uh, what's your take on all well, this? I'll just go ahead and say that he can request a trade all he wants. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, that would be franchise sabotage for the Texans. But um, – you know, shout out to my boys. I'm in a, a big group text with a lot of my, my friends from here in town that we have a fantasy football league together. And I woke up the other day um, and my phone had like 50 messages. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So then I saw that the Texans hired Nick Casario. Um, then saw that he was a former Patriots, I think, like player of, you know, personnel, director of personnel or something yeah, like that. I, it and, says he was an exec, but I think he had to do with uh, uh, player scouting, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. could be wrong on that but so you know I kind of I, I took to the group chat and pulled our our buddies and I was like so what, what's the deal here I don't know anything about this guy none of y'all know anything about this guy he's just an ex-patriot you know yeah I think, and he's, I think he's got a that, lot of credibility just because of the success the Patriots have had over the last two decades so I think the issue that resides within Texans fans and what I kind of garnered from talking to my, my friends was that they feel like this is just, it's like the whole Bill O'Brien thing. Bill O'Brien like, 2.0. Bill O'Brien is like the, he is, he is the turd that will not flush in Houston. Yeah. He, um, he is, he keeps, he just like literally keeps popping up. Anytime the Texans hire anybody from the Patriots, it's like, Oh, here we go. This is going to be Bill O'Brien 2.0. Now I know this is the GM. Um, but I, I, Bob McNair, I'd like to try to just figure out what he was thinking when he decided to allow um, Bill O'Brien to even take the GM duties, I mean, he's not Bill Belichick. No, so I, that I, think, I mean, that's I your first, that, though, first fuck up. They didn't have a GM, and it was just like, oh, some of these responsibilities somebody's got to take care of, and Bill O'Brien was just partially doing them, and it's just like, oh, well, if he's partially doing them, why don't we just let him do both? Which was a <laughs> terrible decision, obviously. We all have seen yeah. the results of that. Um, the lack of results is what you should be saying. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say on the issue is um, Deshaun Watson's obviously upset about it. He sent out a tweet saying, like, some things never change. Uh, me personally, um, I don't think he has much of a reason to be upset about the GM hire. Uh, he's a player. He gets paid to play. Um, no other players in the NFL 
or consulted when hiring a general manager for a team. Like, I don't understand why he thinks he should have a say-so in that. Now, when it comes to the head coach, you got something here? So, I was reading some stuff on this, and I'm, I'm glad that you said what you said about the player not having any say-so in, in hires and stuff like this. So, what was kind of indicated to me is that Bob McNair brought Deshaun Watson in and said, look, you're going to be a big part of the process for who we're going to hire as coach, for who we're going to bring in as a GM. Well, see, like, I can, you're I the can face of our franchise. I can understand on the coaching front of it because Watson's going to be dealing with this coach on a daily basis. They're going to be working together very closely uh, for both of their terms in Houston, whoever's there longest or if they're there extremely long time together. The GM side of it, Watson's not really going to be dealing with this GM very much. Like, it's uh, – I think that's way above his pay grade to be having a complaint about. I can, even with the head coach, I think that's still above his pay grade, and he shouldn't have much say so in that. I mean, I mean, you take Green Bay when they fired McCarthy and they hired Matt Lafleur. Rumors were that Rodgers wasn't happy about that hire. Like rumors were that Rodgers wanted Josh McDaniels, which I can understand why he would want Josh McDaniels over Matt Lafleur at the time, but. They, they didn't really take his opinion into consideration. We all know what kind of a player he is. So it's – I just think Deshaun Watson's really out of a line here, especially on the, the GM part of it. And, like I said, somewhatly on the coach part of it, but not as much as the GM. And, and maybe so. Like, I'm not saying that I disagree with your thoughts on that. But yeah. and I, I, if, I can you know, see... if your boss came to you and said, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to allow you this – piece of decision making and what really does hold the keys to your future I mean I, yeah I would be a little bit upset too if I wasn't even consulted and then kind of like the crux of the situation too is so apparently that the Texans use some service I don't know if it's like a headhunting service or something like that but basically they use some service to like to, to mine candidates and like use this data and research on like who would fit the organization and so this this service that they used spits out a list of candidates, you know, X, Y, Z. And the Texans are like, okay, let me go ahead and take that list. I'm going to go ahead and ball it up, set it on fire, and just hire the dude that we want to hire anyway. So it's like, why would you, like, waste your time and, like... Well, I mean, how do we know that this guy wasn't high up on that list? I mean, do we know that? I think what it was is... I think what it was is the Texans wanted to hire this guy... I think they use this as like their due diligence or whatever to yeah. to make the hire, and then like like I said, it spit out this list of dudes, and it's like, all right, we're gonna hire this dude anyway. And then Deshaun yeah. Watson, he's demanding a trade now because he wasn't consulted on it, and this, yeah. that, and, and the others. So. I mean, I can understand his frustrations because obviously, I think the team, and uh, I mean, I think the team has failed Deshaun Watson so far in his career. I mean, you've traded valuable draft picks away for, I mean, decent players, good players that, you know, addressed the needs, but I think you overpaid for players in trades, and then you've turned around and traded your top player, one of your top players, into DeAndre Hopkins, and got I mean, you you didn't get premium value for him. I mean, you didn't even get a first round pick for him, and you got David Johnson. I mean, and then later in the same offseason, the Vikings trade uh, Stephon Diggs, and I think they got two first rounds for him, our first and another one. I mean, they, they got way better value for him 
than what the Texans got for Hopkins, and Hopkins is a lot better receiver. So I mean, yeah, I can the understand. Texans basically traded DeAndre Hopkins for a washing machine. But, yeah, I can understand um, his frustrations in in that aspect because they they haven't made good moves as a franchise. Look, they just Texans fans should take some solace in the fact that Bill O'Brien's not there because. With Carson Wentz being on the table now, Bill O'Brien would have traded for Carson Wentz, Zach Ertz, and a, the sixth overall pick and would have given up Deshaun Watson. Like, he would have done that today. Yeah. So, Texans but, fans need to be happy that, you know, Deshaun yeah. Watson's still a Texan. I mean, and so okay. back to your point, will, will they trade him? No. Like I yeah. said, that would be franchise no, suicide. I no mean, brand new GM and head coach is going to want to cha- uh, trade a top five player in the NFL. I mean, it's just – it's suicide. I mean, you're looking at um, – you, yeah, you may have to suck for two to three years and for a rebuild process around Watson. Thanks, but, Bill. But you also have Deshaun Watson, who is a incredible playmaker and could lift your team into possibly the playoffs in the second year, maybe the third year of this rebuild. Or you're looking at trading him and you're looking at sucking for the next at least three to five years, if not longer, because – yeah. You're going to be getting a bunch of unknown players, whereas at least you know the value you have now in Watson. And, I mean, I think I think him and Texans fans should keep a little bit of an open mind because I really – I didn't have an open mind with uh, the Packers hire of Matt LaFleur, but look what he's done in his two years. I mean, 13-3 and three both seasons, uh, playoffs both seasons, NFC Championship his first year, first round by his second year. I mean – I was thoroughly put in my place in that in not being open-minded about that hire. So, I mean, you really don't know what you're getting until you get it. Is is the point there? Yeah, I totally understand. I mean, it's frustrating for Texans fans. I mean, if you look at just going back the last few years, um, even with Bill O'Brien, you know, they didn't make the playoffs for a few years. Had decent teams. They never had like really good teams. You know, a few like ten and six, nine and seven. I think they. Maybe made the playoffs as an eight and eight team, winning the AFC South a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, so they've had some success. They are a little bit used to making the playoffs and stuff like that. And now you're looking at, you know, you win four games and all this stuff. And Deshaun Watson's like, now he's demanding a trade and all this. So it's kind of like everyone's hitting the panic button. I yeah. think the Texans could could do some right by people if they go out and they just sell out to get Eric Bieniemy. I think, you know, him going to Houston would be like the best case scenario for both Deshaun Watson and that team because you know the pieces that they do have on offense and what he likes to do as far as like some of the pieces that he has in Kansas City um Deshaun Watson um you know is he as talented as Patrick Mahomes I mean he's he's up there I'm glad you mentioned him as because that's who Watson wants as the head coach but um that's who everybody wants yeah my thoughts on that though is it's, it's kind of the same thing. Of the, You don't really know what you're getting until you get it. But, I mean, do we really know how good this guy is? Because last time I checked, Patrick Mahomes is a top two player in the NFL. If not, I mean, top three, top two, he's, he's phenomenal. He's great. And we all know what kind of offensive mind Eric Reed is. Eric Reed, Andy Reed, my bad. But that's Andy Reed's offense. Like, yes um, – Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator, but how much of that is actually his project and how much of it is Andy Reid's that he's running and how much of their success is based off the arm of Patrick Mahomes or off this dude's, you know, what he's implementing in his coaching. I mean, 
he he so, may not even be that good of a coach. It's just he's, so, I mean, he's I running think, Andy Reid's offense, and he's got Patrick Mahomes. That, that's enough to make anybody successful. Right. So I think the point you just made is a great point in itself to say that he would be successful. So he's been Andy Reid's offensive coordinator for a few years now. So as far as knowing that system, that's, that's his system too. Yeah, but, um, it, I but think, originally it's not his. It's something that Andy. It's it's something he learned. Like it's, you can't really say no, it's I, his. And I agree with that. But it, I think the pieces that the Texans have, I think that that easily translates. At least if you come in and you run a similar style offense, if he brings the same concepts, yeah, I think I mean, the Texans have a chance to be very, very, very successful. Do yeah, they, they don't have a Travis Kelsey same, level tight end? Yeah, Watson has the same similar skill set as Mahomes. Uh, probably a little more in, athletic it, in the in the ability to run. So I mean, it, yeah, it could definitely work. And, I, just, I, and to be honest with you, I just see it being you could just copy and paste what the Chiefs are doing, plug it in at Houston, and offensively you start having instant success. I mean, I could see that happening. Um, Man, if only they still had DeAndre Hopkins for that system as well. Right. Um, and the third overall pick in this year's draft. Yeah. Uh, Which they but, should have. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, Sean Watson, you know, demanding a trade, like I said, not in my eyes, not going to happen. It just doesn't make sense. Like you said, how could you even attract a decent coaching candidate whenever you have a – top five quarterback like you said um but yeah i mean like i said my personal opinion on this if you're the texans i am selling out for eric Bieniemy. i'm basically saying like here's a blank check you tell me how much you want for a year because outside of him like i don't who's who's the most attractive coaching option like i don't want marvin lewis i mean he yeah. doesn't he's marvin lewis to me is like steve sarkeesian he he brings zero excitement level to what we want to do as a team plus he's a defensive-minded coach anyway yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. Like bringing in a defensive coach is not going to help the Texans any. So, you you kind of have to go for the enemy on that. I mean, he's basically the best uh, best option. But as of yet, the Texans have not requested to interview him, and I think that's part of Watson's uh, why he's upset. Yeah. Well, this situation is just it's going to be played out over the next weeks and. Oh, for Texans fans, hopefully not months, but maybe they can get things going in the right direction and appease their franchise quarterback, find themselves a good coach, and, and get back to winning. But like I said, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. Um, I guess with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode two of Those Who Can't Play Talk. Um, I'd like to, again, thank everybody for the support and all the feedback from episode one. Please continue to do so. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Those Who Can't Play Talk. Uh, Instagram page is going to be in the works, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Yeah, guys, just like I said, uh, keep giving us your feedback. Um, let us know some topics or anything that you'd like to hear about, want us to cover. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. And like Wayne said, we appreciate all the love and support. Yeah, and we're definitely going to try to start interacting on our social media pages, throw up some uh, discussion topics to get into that may lead to future show talks and, you know, maybe even give some of y'all some shout-outs in those talks. So uh, I think with that, we're going to call it a wrap. Thanks for listening.